Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There we go. Hallelujah. Hi, everybody. It's uh, August the 9th, 2018, and it's time for my private audio call tonight. Our guest speaker, backed by popular demand, is Roger Sales. Welcome, Roger. So glad you made it. Thank you, Angela, for having me again. It's been a few years since we uh, gathered together on your platform. I know. Time flies. And we had not spoken in a while. And recently, we it. Yeah, well, in these days and times, of course, you know, with the stress on everybody's life and the way the world's spinning. Um, so hold at least we got second. on the Skype you know feed. Yeah, hold okay. on a second. Let me do a, a check here. Can everybody right. hear us okay? Somebody say something in the uh, chat. Loud and clear. Okay, great. Good. Thank you so much. I'm glad to hear it. Okay, so we may proceed. Now, Fantastic. I know you have all kinds of new information to share with us, so I'm going to let you have the floor. And uh, right. make sure you give out your website addresses and everything, although I did send them. Okay, in well, the email, but go ahead. They're on, your, they're on your webpage, but we'll go over them for everybody. I don't know how many people are listening, and I, I don't know how many people are familiar with the work that we've done, the book I wrote six and a half years or so ago. Uh, some of the radio appearances I've done, uh, and the show that I currently have and have had for a, about six and a half years now, bouncing between a couple of networks. Um, and uh, now we've started our own, and it's a fledgling little operation, but uh, we've got a, a nice group, and we really concentrate on freedom, totally. And as I was telling Angela in our call when we talked over the weekend or the other day, um, freedom has four foundations, uh, political, financial, spiritual, and health. And generally, if you can get the political and the financial, you can acquire the other two. So that's the the emphasis in the areas that we have on the whole network. And everyone that has a show is aware of my research and that of my teachers. Uh, and I don't want to take and claim a bunch of credit that isn't mine because I never could have I never could have gotten uh, these answers that we're going to discuss tonight in this understanding without crossing paths with two. Uh, about 26 years ago, uh, in the uh, small six-month window that they were teaching, before the IRS hit all three of their offices with CID, held Glocks at their head for eight hours, wouldn't let them go to the bathroom or answer the phone, and took all the computers and the work product. Uh, now, that was back in the fall of 1992, okay? Uh, and I think everybody knows, at least can read into my statement here, Angela, and that is that the federal government doesn't react that quick to anything. And that was a long, long time ago, 26 years. So even though none of us knew any of this high-end legal information that we were about to learn and embark on, but we all had a sense that we knew that they didn't react that quickly and violently on something that wasn't really legitimate that they weren't really scared of. And, and so that was a 
part of the reason that it kept propelling me and the information, and because I guess I've got a a, a double Y a double Y truth seeker gene chromosome or something. I've just always wanted to know the truth about what the hell was going on. And here I found a, a thread with these guys. Well, they went on to get prosecuted. You, Angela has had uh, uh, John and Glenn on the show at least once and maybe even twice with their tax information, didn't you? John who? So, John Benson and Glenn Ambor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they're in the library there for people that want to go back and listen. Their emphasis was total taxation. Uh, and what I did was got so sick of taxes and regulations and fighting the IRS. And I had an IRS agent on the stand in Atlanta in, in, for four and a half hours and never got one document entered into evidence. But uh, and, and after going through all that, I said, there's got to be a better way. And so I kind of embarked on a quest to figure out the not con consciously, really, uh, to figure out the jurisdictional nexus. And over a number of years, I found it. And I won't go into all that because you can go back in the uh, Angela's archives and find my other show and it'd just be redundant to cover it. But since that happened, I think the last time I was on with Angela promoting the book and what we knew at that time, I've received so much information from listeners and I've been able to myself, for myself, put bunch of pieces of the puzzle together that I did not understand back then on how they did it. And it especially helped me when I started shifting my thinking, not only conceptually, but placing things in a timeline because they don't work on a, a date line. They work on an event line because certain things have to be accomplished before they're going to be able to put the next little piece of of a scheme, which is what all their efforts are, into place. And so that idea uh, developed uh, with me and has reaped great benefits. And that's what I would encourage the people that are researching and trying to figure this out. And Angela, I was moved to this by a, from the most unlikely of sources. And that source is Eleanor Roosevelt. Okay, and it's just hard for me still to believe that something that came out of her mouth could be so profound and have such an effect on me and what I'm able to accomplish by by adhering to this little saying that she had. And she said, small minds talk, talk about medium minds talk about events, but large minds talk about concepts. And I liked the quote, and I started thinking about it. Can you repeat that? Started, sure. And then I started applying it, and the the results I've had by looking at things conceptually uh, dwarfed the 15-plus years I was looking at minutia. And the quote is attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt. You may want to write it down. I'm going to encourage everybody to have a pencil and paper because I'm going to give you a ton of information tonight, okay? Um was from Eleanor Roosevelt, and her quote was, small minds talk about people. Medium minds talk about events. But large minds talk about concepts. So, of course, the rhetorical question is, which one would you rather be? 
So I shifted my thinking conceptually. I'd been mired in minutia of regulations and how they twisted these words and the definitions, which I came to understand, and I saw what they were doing, but it wasn't until I got pieces of, of info from the audience and started looking at things conceptually that it all really fell into place. Now, the reason that this is important for everybody that's listening tonight or people you talk to is because what we found through a researcher named Dr. Bruce Lipton. I don't know whether any of you are familiar with him or not. Yes, but he I gave know me who he is. Real is. big pieces to this puzzle. And they came both, well, the first one came off of an appearance on Joyce Riley's Power Hour years ago. And he was talking about at that appearance the, the power of the sub conscious mind. And the statement that he made, I found to be true, and I put in my book, actually, and documented this. He said, if your your subconscious mind controls 90% of your day, and your conscious mind's only 10%, and what they've done is separated them, okay, with opposite definitions of words. But he said, when you get your subconscious and your conscious mind working together, it is empowering. And that's exactly what it is. Okay. The second thing that's real important in this conceptual idea and realm is the uh, he was doing a grant research, which I believe at like University of Indiana or Illinois, and he was doing specific cellular research, and the the common the common knowledge from every biology teacher, nurse, doctor, college professor, anybody that's taken biology, uh, is that the cell brain and nucleus is the brain of the cell, right? Isn't that common knowledge? Okay. It's in every textbook. It's taught to every medical person. All right. When you get down to cellular biology, that the cells, the brain of is the nucleus. Well, Dr. Lipton went in and with with an electronic microscope, reached down with some of those little tweezers they got and took the nucleus right out of the cell. And guess what happened? Nothing. The little cell just kept on working, okay? So it turns out with further research that the brain of the cell is not the nucleus, it's the cell wall. So every medical, every biology textbook, every doctor, every nurse, every teacher, every professor, they don't even know the most elemental part of the most basic part of anatomy. They're under a misconception. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So what what he found was that if you could take those people and put them in front of that screen with that cell where he plucks out the nucleus and the cell just keeps working, they changed their beliefs. But they changed their beliefs because you changed and altered their perception. So rather than argue with people and butt head-to-head on these issues, go in and get information that shows them the cell brain is not the nucleus. Go in and alter their perceptions, and you'll have a much greater success at spreading the word and the truth. And work conceptually, because people can understand things conceptually. You get mired, you know, the old cliche, the devil's in the details. Well, if you don't know it, believe me, they do, because the devil truly is in the details. What they've done, Angela and whoever's listening out there, group, what they've There's done a lot of very, people out very, there. So. 
Good. Fantastic. This needs to reach. The more people this can reach, the better off we all are. Okay. I don't want your money. I don't want any fame. I don't want a, you know, Alex Jones level or any of that other stuff. Okay. I'm trying to do this because of something that my teacher said in class 25 years ago. And he said, the only way I can protect my liberty is to help you protect yours. And what I find is most people don't even understand the meaning of the word. Sad, but true. It was first defined by William Blackstone in Blackstone's commentaries. And you can ask people this question. Yeah, write out what your, uh, what your concept of freedom and liberty is. My God, you might get pages from people, certainly paragraphs. The brilliance of Blackstone is he reduced it down to one word. One word, locomotion. Locomotion, the ability to go from point A to point B unimpended. I agree. Okay? Very important concept here because now I'm going to give you and throw you another concept that's going to just open doors and just as understanding. First, at least it sets the stage for that. And that is the simple question of the whole issue we're dealing with is are you free? or are you bond? Are you free or are you bond? Because there's only two statuses. Freedom is God's plan. Slavery is Satan's plan. And guess what? There ain't no other plans. So you're either one or you're the other. That's the first thing. Don't go digging in minutia in all these court cases and all these regulations and all these people writing stuff, where they go in and change the words. And they take the free one and they put different labels on it. So you can never go back and simplify it to that basic concept. Are you free or are you bond? Now, what the hell's difficult about that? The only problem is most people are bond. (laughs) That's what's hard about it. And getting them over the hump to see what they've done and how they've done it, which is absolute, total brilliance, brilliance, what they've done here. And get that conscious mind working with that subconscious mind, and here's what happens. Once you go through this change, if you choose to file the paperwork with the right people, and that's what you have to do, our people continually fight this battle from the bottom up. Isn't everybody talk about going to court, going to court, going to court. This is what you do in court. You don't want to do that in court, Right. Well, the object here is to not go into court because those courts don't have any jurisdiction on you. So if you'll fight it from the top down instead of the bottom up, you'll have a lot more success. Why? Because they control from the top down. They control from the top down, and we've been fighting them from the bottom up. Now tell me how much sense that makes. Do you want to see how much sense it makes? Look over your shoulder for the last 20 five years and see the suicides, murders, busted families, ruined businesses, totally ruined lives, and in some cases, generations. That's how much that approach has done for us. There's got to be a better way, and there is. What they did was the first thing. Here's another great way to approach people on this, Angela. I heard you. You clicked your – I like to have a little – 
dialogue here if we could, okay? Because it helps oh, me sure. out my presentation. Well, you know what? It's, the thing is, I've got two fans <laughs> beating on my oh. face right now because it's so hot. So I just mute right. myself out. Okay. Well, so that you can't hear. Well, I'll just I'll, per, I'll just per, I'll just pretend that you're there. I'm I here. Have, I'm listening and I'm participating. You just can't hear it. This but actually I'll keep it came unmuted. to me. Okay. Okay, well, that's okay, and, and, and I hope we're coming through with good fidelity. Oh, I got mother. Okay, and uh, my mother and I have had many adversarial years over this information, but we've kind of reconciled that, and and uh, uh, and she's seeing so many things go bad that I've been saying that she's you know kind of accepted it, and she's seen the success that I've had, and uh, at least some of my family now understands this, and. Uh, so we're talking the other day, and uh, she goes, it was one of those solemn conversations, and she goes, well, Roger, what's going on? And it just came to me. And it's the simplest way that I've ever found to put this information forward. And I said, do you remember the Jim Crow laws? And she said, of course. And I said, they made us all Jim Crow. Now, that's as simple as I've ever found a way to put this forward. They made us all Jim Crow. That's right. Okay. They fought a war. Now, I'll tell you what. You want to start getting your blood boiling, you get your arms around this stuff and start really understanding it and applying it. You know, all this crap about the Civil War that we've been dealing with for 150 years, this is why the Civil War was fought to bring in the 14th Amendment so they could use as the basis to build this whole empire 150 years later. Now we know the reason for the Civil War. It wasn't fought about ta- slavery, and it was fought and started with taxation issues that they started passing laws for and exacerbating the imbalance of the agricultural south and the industrial north. And rub and salt into those wounds, they finally got the thing started. But the end result was they got the 14th Amendment passed. And that is the reason... You want all right, audience, I'll tell you. And I, I and I'll tell you where you can see this. You can either go to YouTube and search it up. They haven't censored it yet. It's too far above people's heads. <laughs> you can go to YouTube and, and look it up over on our network website, which is peoplespatriotnetwork.com. Uh the videos posted there as well as a timeline presentation that I did when and our late friend Joyce Riley allowed me to guest host her program one day before Thanksgiving, several years before she died. Uh, and I got the whole three hours. And, and so I got a two-hour timeline presentation on there. And looking at this and understanding it in a timeline presentation is where the real magic is because it will show you exactly what they've done. So they start the Civil War so they can pass this 14th Amendment. It set up a secondary federal citizenship for blacks that, in essence, they took off the southern plantation and put on the federal plantation. The hitch was that underneath the 14th Amendment are buried the feudal principles of the feudal system. Okay, Now, I'm going to show you how delicate they were and how they set it. So after the Civil War, we still had a Congress where the southern states could participate and representatives. And after that conflict, the first thing they did, Angela, was pass the 13th Amendment. But they had to get the old 
Amendment, which has been found in books in the Constitution, okay, out of there, which didn't allow titles of nobility, uh, so lawyers couldn't be in the le- legislator, legislature, and they couldn't take any gifts from foreign potentates and stuff. And so they had to get that out of there, and they allowed all the southern states to come into the legislature in Washington, D.C., and they voted on the 13th Amendment. And then six months later, when they voted on the 14th Amendment, they wouldn't let the southern legislators in to vote. And if the state didn't ratify the 14th Amendment, they sent federal troops in, put scallywags and carpetbaggers in the legislature, and burned the law libraries. So go to the 13th Amendment and look at the one that they replaced it with. And it says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall be allowed in any place except when a person is duly committed of a crime in any of these states or their their jurisdiction. Plural, their. Very important. Because in the 14th Amendment, it says all persons born or naturalized in the United States, comma, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, singular. So they had to go in. They let them vote on the 13th Amendment, the one that's got the very important word there, which is a collection of the states under the old concept of the country. But more importantly, and this shows you how slick these bastards are, more importantly, what else was super? Super important that they left out by omission. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude. That was the stated objects, right? Well, there's another thing called voluntary servitude. And that was a large part of the feudal era. And that's when you volunteered into servitude. But you see, they can't come in and tell you that you're a serf because that's tyranny. But they can come back and hide it and they can set all this stuff up and turn everything around or they can ask you, Angela, an audience, and how many times have you been asked this in your life? Oh, Angela, are you a citizen of the United States? Or, Angela, are you a resident? And, of course, not understanding what they're asking you, check yes and sign something, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know Do you know the bastards now have the consent of the government? Yeah. What well, they're asking but but, that, but there was a lot of non-disclosure going on, so I don't think it stick. Well, it doesn't stick when you know how to address it. But if you don't know how to address it, they will really apply it. Now, what they've technically done is they've taken the presumption of law and they've shifted it, and we got total proof of this now. Okay, um, so they shifted the presumption of law, and the presumption now. Since the bankruptcy of 1933, which you're now the collateral that you're paying off through your taxes and your burdens, what the uh, uh, the presumption of law is that you are now born into a condition of voluntary servitude. Because in the feudal era, if your parents were in it and you were born, you were born into the same condition. Now you had the same exact option that they had, which is to option out, and that's why they've hid it because getting out of it so damned easy. And they adhere to this now, I'm telling you. Okay? So, let me read uh, in the setup here, this 
This came from a listener. I pulled it up right before the show when we were having problems. Uh, one of the big pieces here that somebody gave me, okay? And this is from a Supreme Court case back in 1901, okay? And the justice that wrote it was named John Harwell. And he had a nickname up there called the Great Dissenter, Justice Harwell. And this case came from a group of cases called the Insular Cases. And it was the insular possessions back around that time when we were going through Philippine Wars and we were acquiring all those islands and all those territories down there in the Pacific. People keep coming at. Sorry for the interruptions. And so a bunch of cases got through the court system, and they kind of combined them all, and they call them, they're referred to as the insular cases. And this is one of those cases, and you're going to understand in just a few minutes why that's so darn important okay so the name of the case is downs d-o-w-n-e-s v bidwell b-i-d-w-e-l-l i won't give the site you can fit that in a search engine it'll come up but i want to read this little excerpt from it boy if you don't think this guy knew what was going on and what they were setting up he had great vision justice uh the great dissenter here harwell quoting this case down be Bidwell. The idea prevails with some. Indeed, it has found expression in argument at the bar that we have in this country substantially two national governments. What did I say? Are you free? Are you bond? Right? We have in this country substantially two national governments. One, to be maintained under the Constitution with all of its restrictions. The other, to be maintained by Congress outside the independently of the instrument. By exercising such power of absolutism as other nations of the earth are accustomed to, I take leave to say that if the principles thus announced should ever receive the sanction of the majority of this court, a radical and mischievous change in our system of government will result. We will at that event pass from an era of constitutional liberty guarded and protected by a written constitution into an era of legislative absolutism. It will be an evil day for American liberty if the theory of a government outside the supreme law of the land finds lodgment in our constitutional jurisprudence. No higher duty rests upon this court than to exert its full authority to prevent all violation of the principles of the Constitution. Judge Harlan, down the Bidwell, you think he saw what was coming or what? Legislative absolutism. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what they did... and why this is so important is because they we, we covered it from the start. Are you free or are you bond, right? And we're going to look at conceptually. What they did was take the old state citizens, because those were the free ones before the Civil War and even afterwards in the Jim Crow days. They took that status and they hid it on the other side of the world in an island 
island called American Samoa. Do you know that in the entire United States, all of the states, whether they be political subdivisions like they are now, or all of the territories in the entire system, that American Samoa is the only one where abortion is considered murder. The only one. And guess what? They own their land over there with alloidal titles that are passed down through families. And how they hold their land determines the seat they sit in in their legislature. Only territory. So what they did, and I've got the paperwork, I've got the piece of legislation, Angela. I'm not talking out of some orifice here. And the most unlikely of persons sent it to me, Larry B. Kraft, who didn't really understand what he had. It's the Nationality Act of 1940. It's in the statutes at large. It's not in the code. The Nationality Act of 1940 and the answers are are right in the first five definitions underneath the heading of the act. This is something else I figured out too. When they're setting stuff up, they always pull the trigger and put it at the first. Then they write copious amounts of crap and put there behind it. The hook is always at the start. Do you Another know what the one of their American Samoa? Do they? Have, I mean, they fall under the same. The Declaration of Independence and the and the Constitution. No, that's the problem. They've got. That's the, no, that's the problem they, uh-huh. that they've got with this. They've used American Samoa as a straw man, okay? And they've hidden the old state citizens under them, under the heading of territory outlying territories, and they did it and set it up in the Nationality Act of 1940 in the definitions at the head of the act. Okay, and so if you understand basics to law, R plus D equals R, and all that's teaching that we've done. On the reason I understand this is because I learned that from John Benson. They don't teach that stuff in our law schools anymore, and haven't for for a long, long time, decades. Okay, so uh, that's what they've done, and you can see it if you understand those basics of law how to apply them, and if you're able to read through their gobbledygook. So in the Nationality Act of 1940, I think it's in OE or F, one of the, within the first five or six of the definitions, they go through this long contortionist paragraph, and they flip everything into the state, in other words, into a heading called outlying territories. That's where they did it, and they set it up, where they pulled the trigger, because they don't ever do just one thing they set it up and then they pull the trigger later so this was the setup where they pulled the trigger was when they moved that over to title eight of the united states code under immigration and naturalization in the definition of a u.s national and there they put a u.s national as some bo- someone born in american samoa st kitts island or this little bitty island that's next to it that only has 36 people in the last census and the outlying territories so this there's your state, there's your state citizen hidden under outlying territories in Title Eight as a U.S. national. So we said what? You're either free 
or your bond, right? It doesn't matter what they call it. It matters what it is and what you can prove. So it doesn't matter if they call it a non-citizen national, a non-resident alien, a this or a that, and they call it several different things throughout the code. But there's only two statuses. Are you free or are you bond? And so what they've done is they've hidden it over there under American Samoa. Now, I would invite all of all the listeners, because uh, and I didn't even do this until just a couple of months ago, Angela. And I'm sitting here one night, and I'm thinking about all this, and we've got a lot of research into this, okay? And I can give you some of the things that led me to this understanding in the background, because it's pretty interesting, because the American Samoans, to answer your question, they can't get their goodies. They can't get any birthright citizen stuff. They can't get any handouts. They can't get any benefits. They can join the U.S. military, but they can only go up up to officer's rank. Uh, There's all kinds of different stipulations against them on this glass ceiling, and a bunch of them tried to take it to court, and they took it all the way to the Supreme Court. They got ruled against in the D.C. appellate level, and when they went and applied for certiorari to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court turned them down because they can't expose it and give them the goody citizenship because then they wouldn't have the straw man for the scam anymore. So, so you can go look this up. It's, it's fairly recent. Within the last couple of years, put in, in your search engine, put in American Samoa in quotation marks, and then put plebiscite. Plebiscite, because that's what somebody sent me an article about this that allowed me to get started on the research trail, and that's where it's led to a total understanding of what they've done and how they've done it. So in your search engine, American Samoa, and then adjacent to that in quotations, plebiscite, P-E-L-E-B-I-S-I-T-E, I I think. It's a voting of everybody because they're trying to do a plebiscite to vote themselves into handouts, and they can't get them. Now, I had a personal experience with this when I was in Argentina, my passport. My first one was stolen, and I went. I turned 62 there, and I wanted to apply for Social Security so I didn't have to sell gold to live anymore. And uh, so I had to get a hold of the embassy. If you're in a foreign country, you've got to apply for Social Security through the country's embassy. And so, But you also have to have an active passport. Mine had been stolen. And so I went through that process, but I didn't have an original copy of my birth certificate, like you carry one around when you travel internationally. Oh, sure. You Got an original copy of your birth certificate with you, by the way. So they said, well, what we can do, right? I said, that was right when Obama was first elected. And I said, do you mean Obama doesn't have to have one? And I do. (laughs) Oh, I like to poke these bureaucrats because I'm the powers. And I know what's going on. So uh, anyway, they said yes. So, But they said, here's what we can do, Roger. Um, We... We can give you a temporary one, and you go ahead and pay the fees, and then you turn it in within a year, and we'll give you one of the 10-year permanent ones. And so I figured, well, I'll get an extra year out of them. So that's what I did. And they said, uh, rather than I was 600 miles away from Buenos Aires, and it's pretty expensive, and one get down there, long trip, 13-hour bus ride, and all that stuff. So they said, we're going to be up there close to you in Mendoza City here in a month. And I said, well, let's do that. So I made an appointment with them, and I actually got to sit down and, Angela, the first and only time with the gal that ran the passport office or her assistant and her little Argentine helper, and I 
got to sit down, hand them my five-page affidavit, and explain it to her. And this cute little old half-oriental, real liberal girl from Wisconsin, you know, just got into the federal system and got that job down there. And she looked at me and she said, we've dealt with other U.S. nationals before, but we've never dealt with one like this. And I said, well, why don't you take that affidavit and take it back to the legal department? Ten days later, I got my temporary passport. Wow, pretty good. So she's telling me, we've dealt with other American Samoan nationals before, but we've never dealt with one like this, an outlying territory. That's cool. I like to call it non-national. I like to use their nomenclature, and that's what I really encourage people to do. If if you ever get – we've had several instances lately, you know, where they you're confronting some kind of authority, and they go, are you, a, are you one of those sovereign citizens? Of course, which triggers – the FBI sovereign citizen squad on you, right? No. Good God, I wouldn't want to be one of those. I'm a U.S. national. Boom, you just turn, you just pull their fangs. You use their words that they've set up to construct the matrix as the key to the matrix. And so many of our patriot people want, no, I'm, I'm not... Either I'm a sovereign citizen, you know, they just determined to go out there and step on those legal landmines. Yeah. Well, you know, God said we were a stiff-necked people, right? Did he? (laughs) So uh, anyway, that's really the the gist of what they've done. Now, for anybody that wants to understand this a little bit better, and this is real profound because this isn't just about us. Guess what, Angela? I've had at least 10 blacks and one naturalized person file an affidavit based on Brown versus Board of Education, and they all got my passports. Because the 14th Amendment reads, all persons born or naturalized in the United States, comma, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Now, let's stop for a second. I'm going to ride the back of Al, Al Addisk for a minute. It does not say all persons born or naturalized in the United States, comma, are subject to the jurisdiction thereof, does it? No, it says and. And if there's some people that are subject to it, then there's some people that aren't, aren't there. Right. Okay. And so here's where we tie the 13th Amendment back in that I was talking about before. Because remember, they left out voluntary servitude. Now it's legal by omission. And they used the specific pronoun there in there, plural, the states. So how do they tie that into the singular 14th Amendment with all of its and subject to the jurisdiction, the complete political jurisdiction as interpreted by the Supreme Court of the 14th Amendment? They come back in after that sub- subject to the jurisdiction thereof, and they go, are the presumption, are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. So they don't ask you if you're a state citizen, do they? They ask you if you're a state resident. 
and you think it means I live here, and what it means is what system of law are you under? And when you're a resident, because that word came from ambassadorial law, where countries sign a treaty and exchange ambassadors, that means that you're under the law of Washington, D.C. That means you're under the scope and purview of the 14th Amendment. So you want proof this is going on, Angela? We got the cold, hard proof a couple of months ago live on the program. It's the only time I've ever heard it, 26 years. I didn't do anything except uh, unleash this young warrior. <laughs> sure. It's about mad as hot. Okay. Uh, five years ago, uh, I had a listener up in Idaho named uh, Brian Howard. He was a full uh, four-year full scholarship University of Texas f- uh, football player, and he is fearless. Okay, And so we became associated originally when I was talking on the air one day. I had seen something that made me come to believe that we could get a a U.S. national state-issued driver's license. And so Brian had moved up to Idaho, and he said, well, I'll do that. And so we talked about it. He goes up to places. I got this Texas here. I'm living in Idaho now, and I'd like to get an Idaho driver's license, but I want one of non-residency. Well, the, the clerk eyeball, you know, some little college clerk or whatever. She, the, the little girl at the desk, her eyeballs just about rolled back in her eyes going, a what? And she goes, so she, she calls the supervisor and they get into all that. They can't do it. So he knows because it's administrative that we got appeals and we start on the appeal thing. Well, it gets all the way, to cut the short story short, it's interesting as heck, but we get all the way to the director of transportation of the state of Idaho in this, you know, an appellate procedure procedure is a court of record, okay? And so they're on their absolute best behavior. This guy would not sign a single document that he ever sent out. He had somebody sign his name for him, but you couldn't interpret it with a Rosetta Stone, okay? And you could they, they tried to cheat Brian. They tried to screw him on the days and the response time and all that stuff. And so finally we pinned his feet against the fire, and he came out and said, he said, we can't issue a driver's licensed anyone who's not a resident of the state. So we got the truth out of him eventually. Well, now, that was years ago. Uh, Brian's now moved back to Texas in Austin, and he's got a bug under his fanny about he's got two daughters, and he's really, really onto this birth certificate thing. Now, it's in, it, it, it's important to note, because I'm going to prove it to you right now in a minute, that the, the, where, the birth certificate is not the nexus. All it does is represent your servitude. It is in legal parlance what's called a warehouse receipt. And you can put that down, go look it up legally for those of you who don't know what it is. A warehouse receipt legally under the commercial code. The warehouse receipt takes on the shadowy existence of the good that it represents. So the birth certificate now takes on your persona which is collateral. Now, here's the process. Brian has both of his daughters born in the same big hospital in Austin, don't know which one. He goes in there with his very best uh, attitude and goes start going to the top of the administrative thing, saying, I'm building a folder for my two daughters on everything that's, you know, that they'll have later in life if they need it and all the information from their birth and stuff. And I'd like to find out about the birth certificate. And he finds out that 
process is uh, when a child is born, a piece of paper is, is generated called an information fact sheet. Okay. And the information fact sheet has all the child specifics, male, sex, color, hair, eyes, feet, probably a little footprint thing on there. And down at the bottom, there's a place for it to be signed by the mother and the father. Well, he finally got on this lady, and she goes back in the back and comes out of the file, and there's the information fact, and it ain't signed by mother and daddy. So he keeps pestering her, he keeps pestering her, and he's keep, and then they send him down to in the basement of the hospital, down to some little old lady in the records department, and he starts telling her what he wants, and she said just, a, and she said she was gone for about ten minutes, and she came back, and the first thing out of her mouth was, "You're not going to use any of this against us, are you?" Hello. Listen, what exactly was he after? I'm t- I'm going to tell you. Oh, He's okay. after that information fact sheet and okay. the process. We wanted to learn the process. So she comes back and she says, you're not going to use any of this information against us, are you? And he goes, no, 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 I'm just trying to build build these portfolios for my daughters. And so she said, this is what happens. When the information fact sheet is generated, they put the baby's information on, on there. And instead of taking it to mom and dad to sign, there is a computer that's paid for by the government in every hospital of the country. And it has a person that mans it and they take the information fact sheet right over to that person and they input the data and it spits out the birth certificate which is then put in a safe because it is a security all all persons born or naturalized bam right there the presumption you're born into voluntary servitude there's the proof because you always get a copy. You never get an original because they got the original. Well, they, yeah, but it doesn't matter. You, you you were placed in a period of being securitized mm-hmm. by having a warehouse receipt that presumes that you're a piece of property. Right. Okay? Sick. And so there is the root system now. Well, it's not sick. It's predictable. The, the, good, the good news is now that we know what it is, we know how to get out of it. And they do recognize it. But why? When they get that affidavit, hopefully it's an affidavit, you can do just a declaration. You, but And here's important for our people, because this is our people are stiff-necked people, okay? And they get on there, no, I'm a scientist and all that stuff, right? Well, you want to write out some affidavit and tell them what you are. Don't tell them what you are. There's only two choices. Tell them what you're not and let them disprove a negative. It's virtually impossible to legally disprove a negative. Don't tell them you're a national because then they got something to argue with you on. Tell them you're not under the scope and purview of the 14th Amendment because you were not born of a heredament of black slaves. Now, that's the white argument, but this is the real good news because it came to me as I come to understand this thing more that this is the way that they used to enslave everybody because it's not just the white man that's enslaved. They used the black man to enslave all of us, every person born or naturalized, Mexican, Chinese, any of us. So they used this method to enslave all of us, right, Angela? Yeah. Well, everything's based on dialectics, so this means that it's got to be the trap 
door to free everybody. And that's why I've had the blacks and the naturalized person get out. They don't go in and claim Wong Kim Ark and the slaughterhouse cases. They go in and say, we, now that you say equal in the classroom, equal in the society, they use Brown versus Board of Education, and because they're caught in fraud, they can't do anything else. This is the power nexus, the jurisdictional power nexus of the Rothschild-Rockefeller axis. This is where they get all of their power from from setting up a system where you're born into voluntary servitude, and then they tell you you're free. Is this not the absolute epitome of the Goethe statement? There are none so helplessly enslaved as those who falsely believe they are free. Bango Goethe, I'll bet you they patterned the system off of his statement. So the good news is, yeah, they've done all this stuff. They're evil some bitches. They're murderers, liars, history slavers, a white and otherwise, and the whole nine yards. But the good thing is, it's all based on fraud. And once they're put on alert at the right person in the right format, especially an affidavit, because they've got to produce an affidavit that trumps your facts that's signed under penalty of perjury. And they not only will not do that, they cannot do that. And because that statement is in your administrative file at the Secretary of State, it bypasses any rules of evidence in any court and can be admitted into any courtroom proceeding if they're stupid enough to let it go that far. We had a situation the other day. One of my students made some real bad mistakes. She was overseas, fell in love with an atheist, came back, got married, had a baby. Now she's they're divorced, and she wants to carry the baby back to Europe. And they're fighting like crazy in court over all this stuff. And because the mother and her family didn't understand all this political stuff and consider him to be, you know, anti-government and a, 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 a sovereign citizen, they tried to bring up those issues in this uh, in this courtroom proceeding over the possession of the child. Well, he had the affidavit put into the court record, and he was up on the stand, and he had it, and the judge wouldn't let him read it into the record. She said, no, no, don't read that. So it's real, it's genuine, it's bona fide. I I would say, honestly, that way over 100,000 people have delivered one of these up there to the Secretary of State. It's important for me to tell you, you do not have to do it with a passport application. I, if you can afford it and you're not you know, in a financial uh, bind, it's a very good thing to have because it represents you filing the document and it links it to it on your account. But because in the future, Angela, you could, you could volunteer out at any time, okay? Any time you wanted to volunteer out. And I asked John one time as I was starting to understand this, John, I'm Benson, my teacher, the legal brains. And I said, if somebody volunteered, because he lived in the 13, 1500s. He was a Renaissance man. His whole mind, the way he thought, everything was related to that time frame. He'd studied it so much. Okay, I said, John, if somebody was going to volunteer out of service, 
servitude, what were any requirements? And he said there was only one. If there was any consideration given in the contract, the consideration had to be repaid, consideration being a legal term for money or inducement or whatever. Now, are you, a, are you aware of, uh, of the, the oath of fealty, Angela? Yeah, but go ahead and okay. tell us anyway. Well, if for people that, that if this goes back, I mean, we're talking about a thousand years of established law here, and that's the feudal era. It was not only originally on Europe; it was an outgrowth of the fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, but then it moved over to England under uh, um, the, the the Norman Conquest in 1066. Okay, and he brought it because he brought the French and the European common law in over and the Duke of Normandy, and infused it in what used to be the Anglo-Saxon common law that got hybridized by infusing the European common law in it with its aspect of feudalism. And that's how feudalism got into Europe. The first thing Norm, uh, uh, William the Conqueror did was went out and seized all the property. And you can go look at this. Go look in Black's Law Dictionary and look under the Doomsday, Doomsday Book. And it'll say, William the Conqueror came in, he seized all the lands, and he went and had a, a, a minute and second, or a minute and second survey done. So he took all the lands into himself and then went out and gave it to people. And how you held your land in what relationship to the king was what your title was. So if you held it directly with him, you might be... Uh, 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 you might be lord something. And if you rented your land and got it subletted from the lord, you may be an earl. And if you got your land subletted from the earl to you, your feud, you might be the duke. Okay? So uh, that's how that was structured. And um, there was two varieties of serfs. One was an involuntary serf, which was much akin to the black slaves in our country before the Civil War, you were in the condition, and you could not get out of it except for one way. There was only one way to get out and be a villain. That's what they called you. If you were an involuntary villain, the only way that you could get out is if you were a bastard. And if you were a bastard, there was always a presumption that you were sired by the Lord of the manor, and that was the only way you could get out of involuntary servitude. If you were in voluntary servitude, you had volunteered in, which has to be Everything has to be voluntary. If it's not voluntary, it's tyranny. That's why they had to go to all these links to turn this thing around and trick you. So in the voluntary aspect of volunteering into servitude was called an oath of fealty. You can look it up on the Internet, an oath of fealty, F-E-A-L-T-Y. And in that process, there's also an example of it in Monty Python's Holy Grail, okay, in the movie and a reenactment of an oath of fealty. And what would happen is the person that was volunteering into servitude would come in and he would kneel literally on his knees at the feet of the Lord of the Manor. And he would hold his hands above his head as if he was praying. And the Lord of the Manor would cover his hands with the Lord's hands. And in a circle would be the other serfs, villains on the manor because it was a legal ceremony witnesses, and the incoming serf that was volunteering into a condition of servitude would volunteer his 
body and his worldly goods to the Lord of the manor. He gave his body and his worldly goods to the Lord of the manor. At that point, he was considered property of the Lord. Go into your black law dictionary and look up the term as villain. It's spelled V-I-L-L-E-I-N. It's pronounced because of that European origin. The French part of it is per, it, it spelled villain, but the English pronounced it villain. I'm going to clear my throat here, Angel. Go right ahead. Doing talking here. So if you look there under villain in Black's Law Dictionary, you'll see that wasn't just one. There's a number of them. There are different kinds of villains. But the one you want to look for is one called a villain regardant. Regardant. And right there in Black's Law Dictionary, next to the villain regarding it says, a villain attached to the land, property, and transferable by deed. Birth certificate? It's all right there, folks. It's exactly what they're doing. They brought the feudal system in and hid it in very, 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 very intentionally under the 14th Amendment. They went along and they spread it in the 1890s in a case called U.S. versus Wong Kim. Mark, they spread it to Mexicans and Chinese and everybody. They spread the superstructure who it applied to. They went in and took over the Federal Reserve. And then on March the 9th, of 1933, they pulled the trigger and they switched systems in a forced bankruptcy. Now, it, it, you don't... I'll have to go look up a bunch of law stuff. We've got HR 192. You can read that. It's all in there. But if you don't understand what happened, you won't understand what they're saying because they hide it. But let's look at the simplified here, the conceptual things. Up until March the 9th of 1933, we used gold as money, didn't we? We had a hard money system back then. But after that date, we switched to this new funny money. Why? Because the system's changed. Free men get to pay for things and own them, and they use positive specie, gold and silver. Serfs, because they're now considered property, well, you dumb serf, you think you own anything? You're a piece of property, you idiot. Property can't own property. That's why you got a certificate of title for your car, and you got all these things that represent the discharge of the debt with a fiat currency. Because you see, free people pay for things and own them with gold. Slaves discharge debt and don't own anything. They have a fancy thing that looks like they own it because they're property, and property can't own property. So there's your proof of what happened right there. You want to take some questions? Yeah, I'd love to take some questions. I'm going to promise you, these people are scared to death that this information gets out. Okay? It literally pulls every bit of power they've got and opens up the entire fraud. And they can't stand it. All right. They won't touch me. I can get on the radio show and call them kikes and everything else. I say I hate them. 
the whole nine yards. They won't touch me in the center, the what I call the sodomy pedophile larceny center or the ADL. They won't put me in any hate list. They won't direct anybody to my work. It's just crickets, man. They're scared to death. This spreads. Hopefully so will. let's take some questions, Angel. I'd love. To. Well, that's what I'm doing here. Okay. First up is um, Texas Mountain. Let me unmute you. You've been unmute, unmuted. Go ahead. Did you have a question? Uh, no, I'm just interested in what's being said. Thank you. I'm sorry. Well, I didn't understand I- what. I'm Did you understand what it's what is being taught? Oh, okay. Well, that I, ca- I can't I call go over in whenever you text. are asking people to call in. Text. Let me just tell you, if we went into the whole story, which I've done on several hours on Angela's previous show, I wouldn't have had time to tell you what I've told you tonight. Uh, I would suggest, and I meant to get to this a minute ago, and it's really important, Angela. I would suggest that anybody that's hearing this for the first time go to YouTube and. Search. You can, I'm going to give you several places to go to. There's another website I've got there. I'm not sure if you listed is a U.S. Passport. Uh-huh. The number Fed. dot com. I'll repeat that again slowly. A U.S. Passport. The number four. Ed as in Snowden. dot com. Or you can go to YouTube and put in a U.S. Best passport for with spelled out Ed Snowden. It will come up there too. Or you can go to the People's Patriot Network.com. People's Patriot Network.com. And right there on the front page is that video and another timeline video. So you can get the background the quickest that way. But I think the most astonishing thing, Angela, that I have come to understand happened. Me and I think the only way I can tell you is I was in a trance for about two weeks in Argentina. It's documented. I was working with a shaman down there on another issue. He was not my, you know, a guy that I knew, and that was his profession. And he's the one. He'd been studying power for twenty years from a spiritual side, and I've been studying it from the technical legal side. And our paths crossed, and in a in a moment of a lot of anxiety and pressure, he gave me the words that allowed me to understand the Holy Grail. The fabled Holy Grail, the legendary Holy Grail, is demonstrated and diagrammed in the middle of that video for Ed Snowden. To my knowledge, for the first time openly in the history of the world, it's the greatest hidden open secret in the history of our civilization and nobody knows what it means, and that's the trap we're in. Let me see if I can set it up this way. Have you, you've had people along here talking about Freemasonry and stuff, right, Angela? Of course, yes. Okay. But the Freemason motto that's openly in their books and literature is this. First a line, then another line, then a square. That's their motto. What does that tell you? Nothing. Oh, yes, it does. It tells you the whole deal. What does it mean? 
the triangle with the all-seeing eye. Okay. So we'll approach it a different way. You're out in California. Texas just called in there. Must be from Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Out there in Texas, and I lived in Texas when I was younger, out there in Texas when they got cattle and horses and stuff, they put them up in a corral out back with fences and rails, don't they, at night? Mm-hmm. They put, and how many sides does that corral have? Three, at least three. No, no, four. Four, okay. But in Babylon, they only used three, and they didn't use rails. They used concepts. Remember our conceptual conversation? Mm-hmm. So now let's take the Freemason motto and apply it and see if we can't come up with something. First, a line. How about the Civil War and the 14th Amendment as a base slave line that you're going to drive everybody into? Then another line. How about the founding of the Federal Reserve where they took over the money supply and were able to take over the administration? workings of the government internally. And a square. What's the square? It's not a square object. A square is an architectural term for when you close open lines. So now you've got the third blocking triangular square, but what was it? It's when they hid the original state citizen status under outlying territories. That's why they recognized the affidavit, because it exposes is their fraud, and it dissolves the third blocking rail of the three-sided Babylonian trap. That's why this works. Okay. Now, what they've learned to do is over a couple of thousand years that they've had that little secret right there, they've learned to cookie-cutter it. So they can go out and take first a line, then another line, then a square, boom, and apply it over here, boom, and apply it over there, bam, so Set it up where it applies over there, and that's how they move their agenda forward. It's the Hegelian dialectic, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Hegel just put it in words that you couldn't understand. So there's your big secret. If you sat in on the call tonight and you sat through everything we said, you just had the biggest open secret in the history of the planet explained to you. And it's right there in front of you on every time you handle a dollar bill staring at you on the backside. Representing your servitude. Because they then collateralize you for the bonds that back the world's reserve currency. And now you're obligated to pay income tax, which pays off the bondholders. You collateralize the funny money system and you validate it by paying off off the bondholders. Not one penny of any income tax ever paid goes to run the United States. And if you don't believe that, go look at the Grace Commission. Right, it's all to pay the the interest on the debt. And the reason is because of property. So what happens, I think, Angela, when you file, or not when you file, let's say when they were receive. When they receive this, because it should, it falls like under you know, the IRS can throw stuff at any address, and even if you've moved 10 times, if it's the last known address, you're considered to be receiving that, right? right? Well, you send these things in, you send them in return receipt requested, of course. And so when it gets there, 
the minute it's received, it's got to go in your administrative folder because they're required by administrative law, which are courts of record, to keep any communication. It's got to go in your folder. From the minute it is received up there, the best that I can tell, two things happen. Somewhere in the bowels of the treasure, whether we'll ever be able to find it or not, you're unreleased as property and no longer responsible for the national debt. And the other thing it does, it totally relieves you from all administrative agencies, with the exception of one in one rare instance. And that is Section 871B and 877B of the Internal Revenue Code, which is there for U.S. nationals, except over there they call call them non-resident aliens. They changed the label again. But we got to go back and remember, it doesn't matter what they call it. What matters is, are you free or are you bond? I'm going to take some more questions. Sure. Hey, Potsmo, you've been unmuted. Can you hear me now? Yep, can hear you. Yeah. I need a good chili recipe. (laughs) I'm not sure if we can provide that. Uh, There's a, you know what, there's a good group called the Barbecue Pit Boys. Have you ever heard them? They're on YouTube. They have a YouTube channel, and they grill everything, and they do, oh, man, the most beautiful stuff on the grill. But anyway, I digress. Next uh, next person up here has their hand up. Unknown I have, caller. I haven't had hey, and just, hey, um, yes. I want hey. I wanted to can you hear me okay? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well to to interject on the feudal system, actually you gotta go back to the Calvin case of eighteen or sixteen oh eight and which is even quoted by Blackstone that talked about that once a child is born is that his allegiance is owed to the king. That's really where it came under was the feudal system. But also, uh, just in, in my own contention, if you even look at the terminology as far as citizen, if you go into blacks but black six, it talks about one who submits himself to the dominion of government. And also, if you look up the definition of the term constitution of black six, it talks about a charter of government derived by the governed, where I believe that you can go outside that as far as even being a national of a state, which that is defined under the real law, under statutes at large, volume 66, section 101A21, which is then codified under 8 U.S.C. 1111A21. It's also in 3C Amjur 2732-37, and it's also listed where you're a native of one of the several states, which is under the U.S. Government Printing Manual, Section well, 5.22, 5.23. Right. And, and what you're putting out in front of us are the very things that turn people off from looking in, into this. All these statutes and all this and all those references. The basic question is this. Are you free or are you bond? There are no other programs. Yeah, but the thing it is, you talk about what they label it, or how they hide it, or where they where they change it, in, like making sausage from the statutes at large over and put it in the code, and and deal with it. The whole thing is, are you are you free or are you bond? And when you start looking at it in that dialectic point right there, a lot of that 
other stuff gets much clearer to people. Because you see, here's the problem we've got, is this is difficult to understand because what you're doing is untying knots that have been tied in your mind with double-minded definitions that are opposite. And as well, in James 1, a double-minded man is uncertain in all of his ways. That's how they're separating the conscious from the subconscious and taking your power. Yeah, but you could also, you could even go back, and you can go back even pre-Civil War. You could even go back before the Declaration of Independence where Samuel Adams wrote The Rights of the Colonists, and he talked about when you enter a form of society, and that's what citizenship is. You're going into a form of society, and it says that you can enter it. You can enter it, but you actually – wait a minute. Let me finish. Let me finish. You actually lose some of your liberty, but you also have the same right to leave that form of society in the event of civil or religious oppression. Now, one, I, I said that to say this. If you go back, even where a lot of people talk about the expatriation that was a day before the 14th Amendment, no, actually the U.S. Supreme Court showed the declaratory process in Talbert v. Jansen, 1793, and it said this. In these words of the law, whoever, any citizen of this commonwealth, shall by a deed in writing under his hand and seal, executed in the presence of and subscribed by three witnesses and by them, two of them proved to be the general court, any district court, court of the county or corporation where he resides or open declaration made either of the said courts to be entered of record declare that he relinquishes the character of citizen character means class or division shall depart from this commonwealth such as a person uh, from the it time of his departure the character his character means his legal personality let me read something that may clarify this for you this is from 1835 okay it's a Supreme Court case, and I can't even pronounce the style of it. And it says, it, a passport, is a document which from I have that the nature – okay, well, let's read it for the audience then because I think it may clarify what I've said for them too, okay? Because I think things like you're bringing to the table now confuse people, and I've worked for 20-something years to try and simplify this, all right? Okay, well, the only reason this. Hold, hold on. Hold on for a second. Most people are not going to go to the lengths you've gone to say what you've just said in the last couple of minutes. Okay? Well, they not only that, I've done it in court. Okay, good for you. I'm proud of you, okay? Death of a thousand cuts. Let me read this site here. This says it all. It, a passport, is a document which from its nature and object, is addressed to a foreign power purporting only to be a request that the bearer of it may pass freely and safely and to be considered rather in the form of a political document by which the bearer is recognized in foreign countries as an American citizen and which, remember this is 1835 before there was two statuses, an American citizen and which by usage and the law of nations is received as evidence of the fact. But this is a very different light from that which is to be viewed as a court of justice, where the inquiry is to the fact of citizenship. It, the passport, is merely 
ex parte certificate and if founded upon any evidence produced to the Secretary of State establishing the fact of citizenship, that evidence, if of a character admissible in a court of justice, ought to be produced upon the trial as higher and better evidence of the fact. Supreme Court, 1835. What matters is the document. either, Either have you overcome the presumption that you've been born into voluntary servitude, and the only way to do it is to go to the Lord of the Manor, which is represented by the Secretary of State here, and give him a document that states you're not, and you're saying well, yeah, you are. Well, yeah, I, I've given voluntary. Well, I've given notice to over 22 different agencies, and that's also listed under presumption of citizenship under 3C Amjur 2D under aliens and citizens, which it says this, as a general rule, it is presumed until the contrary is shown that every person is a citizen of the country in which he resides. There's that term again. It doesn't say domicile. It says resides. No. Furthermore, no, furthermore because, once- because the residents... The residence doesn't mean you live there. It means which system of law you're under. I'm just saying what it's what it's saying. It's saying that you're presumed to be a citizen until until the contrary is shown. Hence the declaration or the affidavit. That's the point I'm yeah, trying to well, make. That's what yes, and your point's well founded. As I said earlier, what they've done on March the 9th of 1933 is they've shifted the presumption. And the presumption now is that at birth, at birth you're born into voluntary servitude. I don't have to go quote courts sites. I don't have to go quote Amjur. I don't have to quote any of that stuff to confuse people. All I got to do is tell you the facts that we've learned and put it in a way where people can understand. And the reason I understand the caller is read this faster. You can't spread complex things fast and you can't get on and Start throwing stuff out that you like you've thrown out here the last couple of minutes. I'm not criticizing you, and have a whole bunch of people understand it and throw their arms around it and sing kumbaya. Well, I, I'm all I'm saying, yeah. But the thing is, you have to know what you're what you're trying to defend if it comes well, into I, task. Listen, I'm that's not my first deal when I when any of my students said this paper filing is just your graduation. It's a diploma because you like that guy in court that I just mentioned earlier. The, got his filed in evidence. And if he was asked about it, he's the one that's got to defend it there. You got to make this information yours and make it cold, okay? Well, right, that, and that's, that's what it was Well, that's what it's saying in the, in the Talbert case in regards to that. You got to have something on the record and also under the presumption of citizen until the contrary is shown once you prove basically through a declaration of who you are now now the burden now the burden shifts to them they have to prove otherwise that, that's correct and they can't and they won't and i'm going to tell you right. i've had a number of instances and interactions with the federal government three passport applications i got a florida state id before i left the state 10 years ago as a non-citizen non-resident and I got an actual state-produced ID, okay? And uh, uh, so I've had a lot of interaction with them. They do, if you understand what you're talking about. And you have to adhere sometimes to uh, old Judge Learned Hand, okay? And you're probably familiar with Judge Learned Hand. He may not have been our best justice. He was a damn good one. Uh, uh, he never made it to the Supreme Court. He was too good for them to let him up there. But one of his uh, decisions, he said, to claim one's rights, one must be a belligerent 
clean it. And if you don't oh. know this stuff cold and you get in that situation, there's no way you can be belligerent about claiming your rights. Well, depend depends what rights you're claiming. Now, oh. I found something. Well, uh, uh, here, how about this one? Uh, years ago when I was in, in uh, paralegal school in Georgia there in Atlanta, we had a little law library in our class uh, settings, and uh, one of my uh, friends tipped me on to something that was in the OCGA, that's the official code of Georgia, annotated, over in the traffic section, and it was on this term resident. And in, in the first big paragraph of a residence, anybody who's been in the state for 30 days, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and they go through all that gobbledygook. And then there's another one, and then there's one single line sitting there by by itself, and it says the term resident is a rebuttable presumption. It says it right there in the official code of Georgia, which means it's in every traffic section in every state of the country because they're all uniform. Well, the term well, resident you know, that's is also, a rebuttable Right, and that's also kind of what, what Mark Stevens does on on regarding to the, the challenge of jurisdiction what what he always does, but there was at, there's actually several cases that you could also look up. It's it's Hazel v. Bailey. It's also uh, U.S. Bank versus De, DeVoe, and it's also Sharon v. Hill. And what the federal courts have said is that jurisdiction is determined by citizenship, not by resident or domicile or inhabitry. So it's basically. Who you are is that presumed to be right? And I think once you come in under a different claim, you see the problem is they're really cutting down. You know, everybody says, "Well, it's it's it just seems like they're trying to keep people in a lot more than what they are to go out." But there was uh, uh, there was a case in the appellate court in Washington D.C. It was a Judge Ferry. And he was really good, and uh, because he was he was actually going against uh, with with the the defendant against the U.S. State Department that basically was saying, well, we have we have un, unlimited discretion, and he says, no, you don't. It's a natural right to travel. It's the only case I really found that said it's a natural right to travel subject to due process, and that was before a three judge panel. But he actually said it, and that he was referring to international travel. You see, there there was the distinction, but he basically said it's a natural right to do that. Now the problem is, is when you, if anybody accepts any kind of privilege or benefit, that's where you're under their realm. And you know that actually comes back, that actually goes back, clear back to the days of Rome, through their system that, that comes they from had. The feudal system. If you receive the, no, it no, it goes back the further system. than that. It, it goes yeah, back to no, but what I was going to say, the in Roman time, they issued a tertiary in, in the book of Revelations. It talks about a white stone. This is what Rome did. That tertiary was a status. It said that you were a citizen, that you were entitled to state benefits, and they used it as a passport. That's how far back that goes. And then it was picked up later on in the feudal system where what they used to issue is that where they would prevent a debtor from absconding and leaving the country. It was called the writ of escort, I do believe, that they used to use in England. And that's what it was for. And they do that today with taxes and child support. 
is that if you owe a debt, you they don't issue a passport. It's the same thing what England did. That's right. Now, my understanding from my teacher, John, on Benson was that the relationship came from the feudal era. I guarantee I agree with you. It was an outgrowth of Rome, and a lot of these things were centered back in Rome. I mean, I can even go into how that happened. But regardless, it's from that voluntary uh, into servitude. And But when you went through that oath of fealty, you pledged to give him allegiance. So, And he pledged to give you protection, protection for allegiance, allegiance for protection. Protection. Allegiance is That's right. the, liege That's man to the liege lord. The liege man to the liege lord, and that was that relationship. Well, you see, actually, and that liege is. Would you just let me finish, man? The liege is the liege and allegiance. Protection for for obedience, obedience benefits for. That's it's that same reciprocal relationship, okay? Yeah, right, right. It's it's the exchange, it's a reciprocal. And if you think about it, that dates oh. clear back to the Jews and in Egypt, because what the what the what the Jews were getting in Egypt, they were getting protection, they were getting food, they were getting housing, they were they were receiving everything from Egypt, and and they had to pay them their 20 talons of bricks every day. That was their taxation. And it wasn't until they left that jurisdiction, okay, and not being subject in it. But they actually left it, even though they were they were in the land jurisdiction, but they were not a part of that society anymore. Um, it's very instructive to note that the reason this is so important, really, in my mind, is there's only been two hit, two countries for 200 years approximately apiece in the entire history of our planet that have had and availed themselves of God-given rights. Okay, Our country was the second one. The first one was the first 200 years of Rome. And it's very instructive on what happened that changed Rome. In those days, it was called the Just Law in Latin. Just Seville the law of the citizen. And it was basically the same God-given rights with a complex court system where you had to be confronted with a crime and you had to have witnesses and get a decision and go get a judgment. But as Rome grew and encompassed all of the other territories that it grew into an empire with, the merchants from the outer reaches of the empire now came to Rome because that was the center of trade. With them, they brought the merchants code with this very easy way of contracting and even easier way of remedy. And those are called self-help remedies. And you know them as lien, levy, garnishment, and seizure. And those are written into the commercial code. They have a legitimate purpose, but obviously they can be misused. Now in Rome, every year, the attorney general was called the praetor. And they never let one stay longer than a year. They didn't want him accumulating too much power, and he had a praetorian guard. That's where the term came from. And they eventually became so powerful they ran Rome. But in the early days, as the praetor would get appointed every year, he would generally take the body of law that the previous praetor had been enforcing. Occasionally, they would take new aspects into it, and they'd announce it and apply it in their reign. And over a 200-year period, because the Roman citizens wanted the easy way of remedy that the merchants, foreign merchants had in pressure of the praetor, they brought the law merchant in 
Latin and merged it with the Jus Civil. And that's the Roman Civil Code we're under today. Right. Well, actually, where that that actually comes from, if you understand the term apotheos, because like even in the first commandment and second commandment, where it says, do not have any gods before me, as that's properly translated, God means ruler, it means judge, it means magistrate. That's what that term, and this is why also Jesus says, call no man father, because the Roman senators back then were called patrice, which meant substitute father, because what they were doing, they were getting their benefits from Rome and actually putting themselves into servitude by accepting benefits and privileges from Rome. And to, to, to give you the distinction is because what Caesar did, Caesar appointed other rulers in different regions, like he appointed, appointed Pilate as the governor, which means magistrate, to Judea. Okay, and and if you want to see where that even portrays in the United States, you look at the at the the Capitol building. There's called the Apotheos of George Washington, where he was deified as a god, and that was also in the the U.S. Supreme Court case Elks v. Uh, Wilkins, where they wanted the Indians to call the president the Great Father, and this is why Jesus says, "Call no man father," and that's why we're not to that's accept benefits. That's a very interesting case that you would bring up, L. B. Wilkins, uh-huh. uh, for the audience, because it, it really it really has an interesting aspect here, uh, a little bit shaded different from what you were talking about. And the history of the case, Elk obviously was an Indian. Wilkins was the registrar of the voting apparatus there outside the reservation. Well, after the Fourteenth Amendment, Elk wanted to come vote. And so he went down to register, and Wilkins wouldn't let him register. And so he left, and Election Day came along, and he went to vote and went to the polls, and and, uh, Elkins was on the polls, and he wouldn't let him vote either. And that case went all the way to the Supreme Court, and what they basically said is you're not under the 14th Amendment, you're a sovereign. Basically, what they said, if you want to write the court. Right, and you can Um, also see that in Jones... Jones v. Temer, that was 1993, more recent, that talked about that. It was based as far as privileges and immunities of the 14th Amendment says it, it protects few rights. Well, you can go right into the United States Code. I think it's Section 1983 or 1986 in Title 42, which is the Civil Rights Code, uh, and it says the citizens of the the United States are entitled to all the privileges and immunities of the white citizens. Now, that's Congress talking. That's not me. All right. the privileges and immunities of the white citizens. It's right there in the United States Code. Right. It's right. the Jim Crow laws. It, the, if, you want, if you want to do a little legal research, one of the, I, I, I've never heard another patriot researcher bring this case up, and it's a real pivotal case to understanding this, and that's a case from 1894, and it's called... Plessy v. Ferguson. I'm, I'm sorry, you, you broke up. Plessy you broke. Plessy. Well, I'm trying to say it, man. I can't help Skype breaking this yes. up. Okay. I'm trying to spell I, it and say it slowly. Plessy v. Ferguson. I can't say it when you're interrupting me. Plessy v. Ferguson. I've, I've, I think I know the case. Now, Plessy... He was put up to this, okay? This was a staged event, and somebody paid... 
big bucks, and they had a, a newspaper that was spiriting it through the community, and they got a lot of contributions, $3,000 worth of contributions back in those days to help take this case to the Supreme Court. Okay, Plessy was nine-tenths white, one-tenth black. And they found him, and they put him up to the, go to an inter, intra, inside the state of Louisiana, an intrastate railroad, and go sit in the whites-only car. They hired detectives that were there to arrest him, and they alerted the newspaper, and it was there to take pictures and write the story. Okay? And what happened was the judge, when it hit the first court, ruled against them, and so they turned the case against the judge, and that's Ferguson. And that case went all the way to the Supreme Court on a guy that was nine-tenths white, okay? And the Supreme Court came back, and they have a, you know how they have thumbnail descriptions of every case? Well, the thumbnail description for Plessy versus Ferguson is separate but equal. Mm -hmm. A guy that was nine-tenths white and one-tenth black couldn't go sit on the white car, but they were equal. Now, how could black restrooms, white restrooms, black dining cars, white dining cars, all those separations, how can that be equal? Right. No, it is. It is. You just don't understand how. They both had a political status. One was the new federal citizen. The other was the old national citizen. So how did they overturn the Jim Crow laws? Brown versus Board of Education. They go in and set all that stuff up. I talked talked about tonight, and then they get a black justice at the Supreme Court. They get the black stirred up by bussing kids across town and all that stuff. They get a court case out of it. It gets all the way to the Supreme Court, and they say, oh, no, Plessy, doesn't, Plessy versus Ferguson doesn't apply anymore. Equal in the courtroom or equal in the classroom? Equal in the society. Well, they'd hidden the other status as outlying territories in the previous years, and they slammed the trap door on everybody into the set secondary status with Brown versus Board of Education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why it works, because it was the trap that enslaved everybody. The dialectic has got to apply. It's also the door to free everybody. That's why over 10 blacks and a naturalized guy have founded this paperwork with the Secretary of State and gotten passports off of it. Yeah, I think that, that U.S. citizen status definitely is a killer. Without a doubt. Well, I mean, you could re and you, you don't have to tell them. You could probably write it on toilet paper with a crayon and send it to them, and they'd have to recognize it. But best to do it in the form of an affidavit, because then they've got to trump the affidavit. To so, so why not back them into a corner? Now, what have they admitted? They've admitted that they're slavers. They've admitted that there's fraud. They've admitted that that they're collateralized, and they don't even have to go in front of a jury. They've already condemned themselves and self-admitted because they don't have the ability to reply otherwise. There was also something interesting that was um, done, when was it? It was 2001 uh, with the Federal Judiciary Center, and they're basically a, they're a training center, but you've got the most astute people that they're basically, they're a part of the judiciary that basically tells Congress 
and tells the courts and the judges what the law means and what it says. Well, it was very interesting in there is what they were talking about was the UCC-9, and they got into it, and they were talking about the legal name of the registered organization. Well, it got into talking ab about it, and right then, Federal Judge Bruce Martell from the uh, uh, Nevada District, of, and he ran the bankruptcy court, he says, yeah, he says, that's when the state records the birth certificate. I almost fell off my seat when he said that. So basically, I found in also the IRS code that talks about that, that it is a registered, unincorporated organization. On the, now, the thing is, I've also gone as far as having the attorney, where I was born in New York City, come right out and tell me, you don't own any of the records. So I'm saying, well, first of all, I don't have all the records. All I have is a certified copy. I don't have the real thing. You have the legal or slash equitable title. I don't own it. So the question is, why do you even need that name if you don't have any beneficial interest? Because if you look up the term legal title, it tells you you don't have any beneficial interest in that. You know, and it's always and it's also the presumption because I've I've requested specific records on that thing's... and they've re they refused to give them to me. They all the whole thing's based on this presumption and the only way you're gonna accuse you can go beat you your head against the wall, fighting this thing from the bottom up and dealing with all those people, bureaucrats in cubby holes if you want to. But the only way is to assert your position, just like Judge Learned Hand said, be a belligerent claimant, tell them what you're not in the form of an affidavit and submit it to the Secretary of State with or without a passport application. Sure, sure. You achieve the same thing both ways. Are you Why still in Argentina? All that other stuff now when we have the ultimate answer and it's easy, and it can be spread fairly easily if you can explain what's happened conceptually to people, and now we get a whole bunch of strong individuals who are out of their jurisdiction, and now we're a force. Guess what we can do now? Now we can put in common law grand juries with teeth. Are you still in Argentina, or are you back because, in the States? No, I mean, I moved, uh, I moved to uh, Ecuador about a year ago. How do you like it? I absolutely love it. I live in a town, believe it or not, named Kumbaya. <laughs> no, you say Kumbaya. Hey, I tried. Are you are you on are you on Skype or because I wrote you a, a while back. I never got a reply from you though. Because I wanted well, to talk about on this very subject. I mean, I try and answer emails, but uh, uh, and I try and answer any questions. The best thing to do is go to peoplespatriotnetwork.com, and that's our fledgling little network, and I'm on five days a week from from 11 to 1, if you're still in the Eastern time zone, 11 to 1 Eastern. You can listen through the website, or you, you can download on your cell phone an app called TuneIn, T-U-N-E-I-N. Don't get the premium one, get the free one. No, I just, I just, I just, I just tried to contact you, you just to, to chat with you. I wasn't getting anything. Well, you know, here's, here, you know, is, well, let, me, let me explain my position. I start started a couple of years ago because there's a lot of people that want to do individual chats with me, and I kind of like to have a life, you know? Okay, so uh, it was the people that want have legal problems and stuff, I started charging them $100 an hour. The reason I did that is not to make the money, but to steer them over to the radio show with their questions so everybody benefits of the answer, and I don't have to do it to 100 different people. 
So listen to the radio show. It's on five days a week from, what, 11 to 1? Two hours a day. I will entertain any question. We will talk about this as in-depth as you want to talk about it because that's what I'm there for, and that's the time I budget to do this. Otherwise, I've turned 70 years old this year. I've spent 26 years of my life pursuing this, and I kind of like to have a little of a life at this point. Yeah. How's the crime rate down there in Ecuador? Uh, it got a lot worse when when uh, the Venezuelans started pouring in here. Right, right. I was wondering. I was wondering about that because I've seen. You know, I try to keep track of some of that stuff. Just you know. And uh, it just—I was just looking at, at like some of the countries with with the crime rates down there in Central America. Some are good, some are well, not so good. Yes, and and this is a pretty well regulated country. I'm really impressed coming from Argentina after nine years. Uh, but right. there's some real advantages to Ecuador. It's right on the equator, but where we are, up adjacent to Quito. I'm not in Quito. I'm adjacent to Quito. We're at eight thousand feet. So even though you're right on the equator. The altitude takes the sting away from the humidity, and it's just absolutely, totally tropical. Every day is about the same. It's never above 85, and it's never below 65, 365 days a year. we got a situation well, where Roger, I, I apologize. I apologize for, for interrupting, but I think it's the Skype that it breaks up, and and I think we, we try to talk on top of each other, and I apologize Yeah, there's for like a delay or something going yeah, on. Yeah, there's a delay. It. Skype does not have duplexing. Regular phones have duplexing where you can both stop, talk at the same time, and right. Skype doesn't allow that. That's why you right. right. Okay, well, hey. Other, but I was hopefully say, we'll yeah, that's called if, Fox, B-O-X, right? If, if, you don't know, if you don't know about the global solar, I would put that in a search engine and see what's coming that's affecting our weather because we're going into a mini ice age that's probably – going to last 30 to 60 years, and it's going to really, really affect the world in dramatic ways, and I think that Ecuador will be a real go-to country in the future. What did you say to put what what into a search engine? Global, global, solar minimum. Oh, okay. That would be a real good topic for you to have on one of these is find somebody that can talk on it authoritatively, Angela, because what we're going into is a mini ice age. They're predictable. They've, they've seen them for thousands of years. I saw a long video on it about a year ago, and, and you can take the timeline of the weather and lay it over the timeline of the overthrow of the Chinese dynasties, and every time there's been a global solar minimum, they overthrew the Chinese dynasty. No kidding. Wow. That's interesting. That's one of the things... That's one of the things that people think that China's so feverently digitalizing everything for in the commodity field and starting to lay all these blockchains down that deal with digitizing commodities because they know what goes on in solar minimums and they want to be able to distribute commodities and food as adequately as possible so they can keep their heads. Wow, well, that's a great item to end on. We've gone two hours and... I don't know, five minutes it says here. Hey, I'll let you go. Thanks well, a lot for your time. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you. Bob, drop by the radio. 
radio show, and we got the phone number. You can call in. We'll answer any questions. We don't always do political stuff. We're real heavy into the cyberspace, by the way, because I see that as one of our salvations. Most of our people trying to avoid this don't have two nickels to rub together. They can't even afford to pay attention. Okay, let's get ourselves healthy financially. We got something coming that's never happened before in the history of the world, and it's never going to happen again. Don't be left out. Right. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Roger. I appreciate you coming on and spending time with us and updating us on all that's new. Uh, everybody, why don't you go ahead and name your website again? Okay, I'll give you the the network website. If you'd like to hear this on a more continual basis, is peoplespatriotnetwork.com. And you can listen live there on the site and get all the instructions and the yeah. other announcers it, we've it got was, on. And some of the, it was dot .com. Yeah. You got stepped on when it came to the yeah. dot .com. People's Patriot um, Network dot com. Angel on, Go ahead. Correct. And I think you've got my, my uh, political site, Sovereign to Surf, to, right. spelled out, Sovereign to Surf dot com. And the one I gave earlier, which is the earliest one, it's easier to navigate, which is a U.S. passport. Sport, the number four, ed.com. And I encourage everybody tonight, if you weren't familiar with the earlier work we've done, go watch that 30 minute video for Ed Snowden. Personally, I think it's the best thing I've ever done. Okay? Oh, fantastic. I'm going to go watch it. Well, the Holy Grail's demonstrated and diagrammed there in the middle for the first time in the history of the world, to my knowledge. Fantastic. Very good, very good. Thanks so much, Roger. Have a fine weekend. Um, Thank you. Enjoy the weather. It sounds yes. pleasant. Here it's hot. Tomorrow's, it's terrible. <laughs> tomorrow is Ecuador's Independence Day, so it's a long weekend. And, uh-huh. of course, as you know, I took a bad fall about a month ago and have a gimpy leg that I'm still nursing. So uh, it'll be a quiet weekend. I sure do thank you for having us, though, and I'm glad to reconnect with you, Angela, and get a chance to talk to your audience. And I, I really implore you to look into this. It's real serious information. It's not speculative. It ain't theory. The Secretary of State has endorsed it about 100,000 times or more. Amazing. Yeah, and it's all over your website. A passport for Ed? What yeah. is it? A. Mm-hmm. U.S. Passport for Ed.com. See, here's the importance of that. I got it. When he was just that happened to him and he was stuck in the airport in Moscow for about a month or two, I got his email address. The Gary Greenwald's assistant let it slip out in an article, and Glenn Ambort saw it and sent it to me. So before the CIA and the FBI cut it off, I shot him an email. I said, Hey, man, I got your back here. I said, sent him a copy of the book and all that stuff, and here's why. They revoked his passport, right? Which one? They revoked his slave passport. If he would have applied with an affidavit to the embassy in Moscow, they would have had to have issued him a passport as a U.S. national. It would have blown the lid off the whole thing internationally. Well, so we're close. We're close to getting this information out. Something's going to happen. I'm going to write a. I've got all the information for a follow-up book. I just just haven't sat down and written it because I don't like writing particularly. I'd rather get on here and talk about it. But uh, but one of these days, it's going to hit some big platform. You know, 
Oh, I, I had three appearances on Joyce Riley's show, and Joyce had five million listeners, over five yeah. million listeners. Okay, but I've never gotten past that. One of these days, uh, some you know John B. Wells or Coast to Coast or somebody's going to get aware of this and it's going to break somehow. So oh, well, we I just can email we can email George Nori over at Coast to Coast and hammer him and keep suggesting they have you on. That's what we did. What we got Irwin on and Joe Bannister and. I, we had Yahoo groups, and we would email all the Yahoo groups to bombard them with emails, and it worked every time. Well, maybe we'll get that again one of these days. I just have come to the understanding that, you know, this doesn't reach everybody. It just reaches a small percentage of people, and I think there's a reason for that, and I think there's a reason that we're receptive because God always leaves a remnant, okay? And I believe that the people that are receptive, receptive to this message fall into the rim category. It's the only explanation I've ever come up with that satisfies me. I saw that on your website. The 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 remnant, some guy. On there. Yeah. So uh anyway there's a lot of interesting information here and we go over it daily during the week. I don't do too many replays. I've done a few lately with my, my foot situation. But I tell you if you want to listen tomorrow, I've got a national treasure on with me every Friday is a guy named Brent Allen Winters, who's an attorney. He ran for a, a office back in the Gingrich Revolution. He's he's uh, uh, translated the, his own six thousand page study Bible. He speaks two or three languages. He is a whiz bang, and we have fantastic Friday shows. So if you haven't listened before, tomorrow would probably be a real good day to start. Very good. All and right, everybody. That's at the Patriot. Uh, what is it? Patriot. Patriot. Okay. People's Patriot Network. My show is on 11 to 1 Eastern, and I replay it at night from 9 to 11 Eastern. So if you can't catch it in the daytime, you can catch it at night. Okay. Do, do you save archives on it, too, so you can go back and listen to we uh, haven't, prior? Haven't, we haven't got that set up yet. We're working on it. Okay. All right. Very good. Is that it? Did you want to say anything else? Hello? No, I'm, uh, well, <laughs> nobody's got anything to say. My stomach does, and it's telling me I need some food, so I'm going to go yeah. eat late dinner, okay? All right. Go have a nice dinner, and thank you so much again. I appreciate it. Um, wait one second. Do we have someone with their hand up? You want to ask one more, answer one more question? Sure. Okay. All right, go ahead, 901237. Yes, can you spell that court case, Ferguson? And when you, when you spell it, would you say like A, a and Applesworth? Because you're going in and out. Of, uh, I'm yes, not sure what I will. Second. Okay, it's Plessy. P as in Paul, L as in Larry, E as in Edward, S as in Sam, S as in Sam, Y as in yes. Plessy. And the opposing party was Ferguson. F as in Frank, E as in Edward, R as in Roger, U as in Uganda. You forgot the G. G. Well, I you know I'm getting lost. Anyways, F E R G U S O N, right? But Plessy, that's a very very interesting case, and it tells you exactly what's going on. Very good. 
All right. Was there anything else? Um, last thing on your talk show, because I got in on this call late, so I have to go back and re-listen. Do you, what you discuss with Mr. Starks today? Will you discuss it? Do you discuss that on your program? Yes, we do, especially if people call in with questions. You know, I'm in a position when I can't, I can't just do this every day and hammer the same thing. We've got to have some diversity of subject matter in there. But it's my preferred thing to do on the show is to teach and answer questions on this because that's the reason for the radio program. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> all right, well, thanks, I hope Roger. I hope you call into the show, okay? And <laughs> yes. uh, thank you very much. We're all going to call into it. the show. We're going to have so many we'll, callers into your show. You're going to not have enough time to answer fantastic. everybody's questions. Well, we'll, uh, we'll we'll welcome you and answer your questions best we can. So, thanks for putting up with me tonight. I'm going to go have some dinner, and you guys have a nice evening from beautiful Cumbaya, Ecuador. I will say Buenos Noches, okay? Well, thank you so much. Have a good night, and uh, we'll do it again, uh, hopefully, not too distant future, and um, see what's new with you again. All right, everybody. Well, I'm I'm sure in my life something exciting. (laughs) I'll see you later, Angela. Bye, kids. Have fun. Good night. All right, everybody. Good night. See you next time. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.